chapter 33 this evening. Exodus chapter 33. We'll be looking at starting in verse 1 tonight. Exodus chapter 33. Looking at verse 1. Exodus 33 and verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up thence, and thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it. And I will send an angel before thee. And I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusites, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. It will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. When the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned. And no man did put on him his ornaments. For the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto the children of Israel, You are still enough people. I will come up unto the midst of thee in a moment and consume thee. But therefore now put off thy ornaments from thee, that I may know what to do unto thee. The children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by the Mount Oreb. And Moses took the tabernacle, pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it, the tabernacle of the congregation, and it came to pass that every one which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. It came to pass when Moses went out unto the tabernacle that all the people rose up and stood every man at the, his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass as Moses entered the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose up and worshipped, and every man in his tent door. The Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And it turned again into the camp, and his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast said also, Found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I might find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and, my, and my, thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, and I and the people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he, and he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there is no man, for, for, for there shall no man see, see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a, a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it came to pass that while my glory passes by, that I will put thee in the cliff of the rock, and will cover thee in, with my hand while I pass by. 
and I will take my hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Father, we thank you for this wonderful conversation between Moses and you. Thank you that we have it recorded. Thank you that Moses was such a wonderful leader, yet humble, and how he loved his people, how he took care of his people, how he interceded for his people, and was willing even for his name to be blotted out of your book for his people. Oh, what leadership principles we can learn from this great man that we still read about today after thousands of years. Oh, Lord, I pray, God, you'd help us to have these type of principles in our lives. Father, help us not to be stiff-necked. Help us not to be stubborn. Help us to be submissive. Lord, and may we find grace in your sight to do your will every day. In Jesus' name, amen. So after the rebellion of God's people at the golden calf incident, God informed Moses that he would withdraw his presence. Of course, he was punishing his people because of disobedience. This, obedience brings blessing. Disobedience always brings conflict. That's a principle that you'll find throughout the scriptures, from Adam all the way to the end of the book of Revelation. That obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings conflict. You obey God, you have blessings in your life. You disobeyed, you're always going to have conflict in your life. Now, just because you always obey doesn't mean you'll never have trouble. Job and Paul. Job in the Old Testament, Paul in the New Testament, both godly men but had difficult situations in life. So even though you do good, sometimes bad things happen. Why do bad things happen? That's a sermon in itself. Sometimes because of sin. Many times it's because of sin. A lot of times things happen in our life simply because we disobey God. Sometimes God is trying to teach us to be, to be closer to him. And the only way we'll be closer to him is through trouble and through trials and through difficulty. A lot of us, as I've used the illustration before, how many people would do their homework if the, if the teacher didn't check it the next day? Very few. Now, you always have those little nerdy folks. They'll do anything the teacher says. God bless their pee-picking heart. But for the rest of us poor souls, if we wouldn't do it, if the teacher said, you don't do it, you're going to get an F, then we would do it because we don't want to get an F because we don't want to repeat algebra again no matter what they say. Thank the good Lord it's over and I'll never do it again. Haven't used it since and I'll probably never use it ever again. All you folks who love algebra, God bless you too. <laughs> but here they were getting spiritually spanked because they disobeyed God, remember? Moses delayed his coming down from the mount. He'd been there for 40 days, 40 nights. Aaron took upon himself to be the leader and made cause the people to sin. He should have said, we're going to obey God. We're going to follow Moses. We're going to do right. But he did not. He succumbed to the pressure of other people. And we said last time, the fear of man is a snare. Oftentimes, we're fearful what people will say about us, will cave our convictions will compromise what we believe because we want to be liked. We want people to say, attaboy. We want the thumbs up on Facebook instead of the, I don't like you so much comments. So because of that, they, were going, they went through some punishment. They went through, they went, <laughs> Moses ground up that golden calf that they made from the earrings they had in Egypt, and he made them drink it. Then the Levites went through the crowd with a sword and thousands were killed. Disobedience brings problems to, in life. And that sweet fellowship that they had when they were singing and, and praising God had, had gone. 
Billy Sunday put it this way, sin's sweetness soon sours. Sin's sweetness soon sours. It was little things. It was a small buildup to cause ultimately big problems. That's true in our life. Little foxes spoil the vines. Recently, I read about a tree in Colorado that found that, that fell to the ground with a resounding crash after standing for 400 years. I mean, it was still sapling when Christopher Columbus landed in San Salvador. But over the years, it had been struck 14 times by lightning, had gone through great windstorms, even went through some earthquakes, but ultimately it was killed, destroyed by the tiny little beetle. The beetle. Not the beetles. The beetles. The little beetle. The bugs. The beetles got it. And so it is in the Christian life. It's often not the big thing, a, a, a big event. It's the small things that, it, the small things that hurt us. It's, not, it's, it's saying, oh, I know, I know the Bible, but I don't need to read it. I, I, I know I should talk to God. I know I should pray, but I'm not going to do it. I know I should tithe, but you know I just can't afford to tithe. I know I should give to faith promise, but you know Starbucks is calling me. Oh, you know, I know I should witness. I should, I should give a track to somebody, but I don't want them to be mad at me if I give them another gator track. I already gave them five. It's small, small areas of disobedience that causes us to fall. And so now we have this situation where Moses is, is commanded to pick up their tent pegs and leave and go. So we see, first of all, this evening, the plea of Moses in verses 12 and 13, the plea, first of all, for God's path. He wants to know more about God. He says, we see there in verse 12, the Bible reads, Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest to me, bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast, thou hast found, also found grace in my sight. So we see this plea. He wants to know more about God, and that's a, a wonderful thing. He's understood him. I mean, he's been with him for 40 days, but he wants to even know him more. And what a, what a wonderful thing that is. And I hope and pray that's your plea, that you want and desire and hunger to know God more. We see that in Psalms 25, verse 4. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. How many times have we asked the Lord for the same thing? Show me thy way. Lord, which way should I go? The, word, the phrase, show me thy way, indicates three, three important uh, thoughts in our life. First of all, you and I don't know it all. If we're asking God to show us the way, then we must not know the way. We don't know the way. That's why daily we should be, as the Bible tells us in the book of James, to ask God for wisdom. Why should we ask God for wisdom? Because we need it. I need God's wisdom every day to make decisions for me, for my family, for the church. In all areas of life, I need God's wisdom, and you need God's wisdom. Think about it, dear friend. You haven't figured it all out. Whether you're 18 or 88, you haven't got it figured out. We're all here only by the grace of God. We ought to ask God, show us the way. Proverbs 28, 26, he that trusts in his own heart is a fool. I'm going to do it my way. Frank Sinatra, how'd that do for you? I'm sure probably not too good right now. He's a fool. That's foolish. Whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. Proverbs 16, 18, pride go before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. 
How many times have you seen people who live in a sense of, of uh, an air of confidence and I can do this thing and nobody will tell me what to do. Next thing you know, they're, you don't see them anymore because they've fallen. It's a, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a continually slow slep, uh, slope to destruction. Secondly, you may, not, you may have several choices to pick from in making your decisions, but we have, there's a broad road and a narrow road. We don't, know what's, we don't know the way we should go. It's what we need to ask. And there's a, there's a huge road in front of us that, that going. That's, it's the wide way to destruction. And we need to not be on that road, but be on the narrow road. That's the road to salvation. That's the road to eternal life. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, verses 14 talks about the road. It says, Enter ye at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many there be which go then thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few be there that find it. You say the night, well, preacher, I'm on, a, I'm on a narrow road. Praise God. Well, who are you trying to get? Who else are you trying to get on the narrow road? If we've escaped the broad road, we should be trying to get everybody we know as, as fast as possible off the broad way and onto the narrow way. Because, dear friend, everybody who's alive today is either on the broad way, on the path to destruction, or they're on the narrow way to life everlasting. What road are you on? Do you know what road your neighbor's on? Do you know what road your, your, your brother's on, your mother's on, your cousin's on? If you have somebody in your life that you know is on the Broadway destruction, are you praying for them every day they get on the narrow road? Oh, dear friend, it should be a day goes by. By the grace of God, you're not praying and begging God. And then when you have an opportunity, when you take the opportunity to talk to them about the narrow road, how do you do that? By talking about how you are surviving on that narrow road. How different it is from the broad road. How your life is different on the narrow road. Talk to them. Share your testimony of salvation. Share what God is doing. Oh, it's easy to get destroyed. I read about some time ago a scientific magazine published an article concerning a certain species of alligator. Being lazy beasts, and uh, I've been golfing, and the next thing I know, I look up, and there's one like 10 feet away from me. You, you, I mean, it's, kinda like, it's, it's just like there. And I'm just like, I can't believe I hadn't seen it. Then it's just like, it's there. It's just like there. And you kind of just kind of walk up this way. I'm going this way. I'm going this way. I'm going this, way. this article says these lazy, seemingly lazy beasts, they seldom hunt for their, for their dinner but wait for their unwary victims to come to them. They lie near the bank with open mouths. You've seen pictures of this. Acting as if they're dead, acting as if they're just a log. Soon flies begin to light on their moist tongues. Several other insects gather. The crowd attracts bigger game. A lizard will crawl up to the gator to feed on the bugs. Then a frog joins the party. Presently, a whole menagerie is there. And then, all of a sudden, boom! Chomp, chomp, chomp. Goes the gator. I know you Seminole fan love that back there, Brother Eric. <laughs> What's the lesson? Don't be lured by large crafts of people who say, go this way. There's a broad way to destruction. Most of the people in this world are on the broad road of destruction. Most people you see are on the broad way. Don't follow their way. Follow the narrow road. 
You choose the path you take. You're responsible for your choices. Don't have a victim mentality. Oh, I'm on the way I am because of the way my parents raised me. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You make choices. You make choices. Oh, yes, that has something to do with it. certainly does when you're raised. But, dear friend, if you're raised, if you're born in the United States of America, you've been blessed. Any person in these states of America, these United States of America, can get a job if they really want to. They can, they can earn a living if they really want to. They can work hard. They can be, almost anybody can be about anything if they set their mind to it. But if you get the mind to, I can't, I can't, I can't, then you won't. If you live with, I can't, I'm not able to, I don't have the ability, then dear friend, you will not. You will not. You can do anything that God wants you to do by the grace of God. You can, but you have to choose it. Thirdly, show me that way indicates your confidence in God's guidance and his willingness to do so. How does God, what is, what is his promises about guidance that we all need? He will guide us in our decisions. Proverbs 32, verse 8, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Psalm 16, verse 11, thou will show me the path of life in thy presence, the fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures evermore. He wants to guide you. Allow him to guide you. Ask him to guide you. Ask him to govern your speech. Oh, that'd be a wonderful thing to do. Lord, show me the things I should say and shouldn't say. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Let me give you some, let me give you some quick help. Say half of what you want to say, and that will help you automatically. If you just say half of what you normally say, that would probably help you tremendously. He that keepeth his mouth and tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. Just say half. Be careful. Be careful what you say. Be careful. He will guide us not just to, for now. He will guide us till we die. Psalm 48, 14, for this God is our God forever and ever. He will be God even to death. He will guide us in confusion and uncertainty. Isaiah 42, verse 16, I will bring the blind by the way, and they, and they know not. I will lead them in the paths they have not known. I will make darkness light up before them and crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them and, forsake, and not forsake them. He will guide us in confusion. He will guide us in the darkness. He will guide us when we don't know the path. He will guide us into all truth by his spirit. John 16, 13, how bear it when he, the spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but what he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you in what you say. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you in the places you should go. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you when you should not be where you're at. Brother Eric has talked, you and I have talked about this many times. I've been places, and you can call it whatever you want, but I've been places, and I just had an uncanny feeling that I shouldn't be there very long, and I got out of there. I was in, I was in Dollar General just the, other, just the other day, and a bunch of people came in there all at once, and for some reason, I don't know what it was, I just got out of there because it just it didn't seem right. It doesn't seem right. I've been in stores in Key West, and be careful when you go down to Key West, especially at night. Well, I walked in there about five seconds, and I walked right back out. And it wasn't the music. It wasn't the fashion. It wasn't anything. It was just a spirit there that was not right. You call me crazy. You call me what you want. But, dear friend, the Lord will guide you if you allow him. He'll lead you. 
If he isn't lead you, then what is he doing? He's comforting. He's helping. He's guiding. He's teaching us. Of course, he'll guide us to our home in heaven. John 14, 6, Jesus said to them, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh the Father but by me. Don't expect the Lord to guide you, though, if you're not willing to follow. If you've already said, Lord, I don't care what you say. I'm not going to go. Then don't expect him to help you. Don't expect him to guide you. Don't expect him to show you the path. If you're just stubborn as an old goat, <clears throat> I hate to use a phrase, then, dear friend, he's not going to show you. If you just said, I'm never going to work, then you won't work. <laughs> there was times in college where I didn't have money. And, and for some reason, you know, I'd see these people and they would get like $1,000 in their P.O. box and, and like save them from, they didn't have to leave and go back home. They got the money somehow, some way. You know what God would do with me? He'd just give me more work. Okay. Well, thank you, Lord, for the more work. Now I need the energy. I need the strength to do that more work. But God, where he guides, he always provides. But you ask him to provide for you and guide you, and he will. Don't expect God, the Lord to guide you if you're not willing to follow him. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. And that's the number one reason why people don't follow Jesus. They don't want to deny themselves. There's a little more sleep, a little more slumber. I'll let the government take care of me. God, folks, that's never was the founders, that was never their intention. The intention of the founders of this country was never for folks who can work not to work. Never was their intention. If you say you don't believe it, read their writings. Read Washington. Read, read Madison. Read John Adams. These were men who worked. They did everything they could so that we have these states today. Oh, dear friend, I believe, I believe strictly if a man won't work, neither should he. That's the truth. That's what the scriptures tell us. I had somebody call me just the other day, wanted something. I said, well, first thing they said, well, I don't work. I thought, well, why don't you work? Try something. Do something. I went to a movie theater, Brother Pete, many years ago. My, me and my, my son and my daughter. And I looked up and this lady, I looked up and this lady came out of a van. She drove a, a wheelchair out of the van and got that little, that little motorized vehicle up to the theater. And she was the, play, she was the person who took the ticket when you went inside the theater. And I thought to myself, God bless those parents. Because she could have said to that lady, you don't have to do anything. Just stay here and watch TV all day long. Just play video games all day long. But somehow she was teaching that young lady the responsibility of working for a living, of doing your best, even in her crippled condition. She was doing something for society. Praise God for people. Oh, you may be saying, well, preacher, I can't do whatever. No, I'm not saying you can do everything. But what can you do by the grace of God? There was this plea for God's path. He wanted to know more about God. But it was a plea for a closer relationship. He says, I want to know you, Lord. We see this same plea in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. That I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, be made conformable unto his death. 
Philip saith the Lord, show, me, show us the Father and suffices us. A college student, under the great teacher, Howard Hendricks, shared a testimony that when he was a college student, he worked at the dining hall. He would get up early in the morning, 5.30, to work in the dining hall. And on his way to work, he would look in the window of brother, uh, Professor Howard Hendricks, and he would be at his studying, poring over the scriptures. And one day, he asked Professor Hendricks, why do you do this? Why do you pour over the scriptures and study at 5.30 in the morning? He said, son, would you rather have my students drink from a running stream or from a stagnant pool? He was willing to thirst and hunger after righteousness so he could get something from God so he could give to his students. How many people come to us and they ask questions? Are we able to give them something from a running stream rather than a stagnant pool? We see his, pl his plea for God's path, his plea for a closer relationship, his plea for grace. Grace is desire and the power to grace is the desire and the power to do the will of God. Grace enables us to endure trials, to be patient. We want to be impatient, to work when we're weak, to have joy when we don't feel happy. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. The great preacher J. Wilbur Chapman told often of the testimony given by a certain man in one of his meetings. He said, I got off at Pennsylvania Depot as a wicked person, and for a year I begged on the streets for a living. One day I touched a man on the shoulder and said, hey, mister, can you give me a dime? And as soon as he saw the face, he was shocked to see the person he asked was his own father. He said, father, father. Do you not know me? Throwing his arms around him with tears in his eyes, he said, Oh, my son, at last I found you. I found you. Do you want a dime? Everything I have is yours. Think of it. He was a wicked man. He said, I stood begging my own father for 10 cents when for 18 years he'd been looking for me to give me all that he had. What a wonderful illustration of the way God longs to treat us if we would only let him. Think about the abundant riches that are at the right hand of God that he wants to give us. Oh, things that may be not tangible, like money, but things are a lot more, things are a lot more important, dear friend, than just a dime or a nickel or a $1,000 bill. Peace. What would the richest person in the world pray for if he could just have peace? What would he give? Patience, love, goodness, temperance, hope. Joy. How many people are worth billions, but they have no joy? They don't laugh. They don't, they have no, they, all they do is they go every day and they, they look at the stocks and if it's, if it's up, they're happy and if they're down, they're sad. And they live their whole life focused on what they have and what they don't have. But Jesus says that life does not consist of the abundance of things which we possess. This is, life is, does not equal the amount of things we have. Life, dear friend, is in Christ. You can be a poor pauper, yet have peace and joy with Jesus that the richest person in the world will never have. Will never have. How many a person has not experienced the grace of God because they've not gone to God? The grace, grace of God is given to us freely. Psalm 84, verse 11, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. 
the Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. It enables us for service. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, according to the grace of God which is given to me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation, another build it thereon, but let every man take heed how he build it thereon. 1 Corinthians 15, 10, by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. It's sufficient for us. We've read this verse many times, but I'll read it again. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. It saves us. We believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus we shall be saved, even as they, Acts 15, 11. It's appeared to all men. Titus 2, 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And it can be made ineffective. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1, When we as workers together with him beseech you also that we receive not the grace of God in vain. Don't spurn God's grace and working in your life. Receive it. Be thankful for it. Have an attitude of, of gratitude and share it. His good news with other people. So with this plea for God's path, path, a plea for a closer relationship, a plea for grace, but fourth, letter D, if you're writing down, a plea for the people of God. Moses says, consider this, that this nation is thy people. Remember when, he, when Moses was coming, was in the mountain, he says, thy people. Now Moses turns it around and says, thy people. Remember now, thy people. Is this your desire? Are you wanting to have a testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ and demonstrate by your life to others that you belong to Christ as an ambassador? We're all ambassadors. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. Then you are ambassadors for Christ as though God beseech you by us. We pray for you in Christ's stead. Be you reconciled to God wherever you go. Whether it be Walmart, whether it be Kohl's, whether it be... In your house, we're ambassadors for Christ. Do we live like an ambassadors for Christ? We see the promise, the plea of Moses, but the promise of his presence, verses 14 and 15. Verses 14 and 15, he said, And my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said to them, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. My presence will go with thee. Through good and bad, God has watched over his people. Think about the history of the Jewish people. Oh, what such a long history. Thinking about even what they've gone through right now, but what they've gone through in the past. Through invasions of Assyria, Babylon, Babylon Greece, Rome, God has been with his people. In spite of slaughter of six million Jews during World War II. If you ever get a chance to go to the Holocaust Museum, I believe there's one in Washington, I believe, and I know there's one in Jerusalem. Go. It will change your life. It will literally change your life. There's a group of people who says that never happened. There's a group of people. And that group of people is growing. They said the Holocaust never happened. And they're the same people who said we never walked on the moon, too. So be careful about listening to them. Be careful. Now, everything that teachers say to you is true. But good Christian teachers are true, always. But since May 14, 1948, God has been with his people in spite of five major wars against Israel. On May 15, 1948, 45, 45 million Arabs, Arabs were pitted against 64,000 Jews as Egypt, Jordan, Iraq, Syria, and Lebanon all attacked. And soldiers, the Jews were outnumbered 40 to 1. Impossible. Impossible. Eight days before the attack. 
General Montgomery, British General Montgomery, visited Palestine and said, the Arabs, the Arabs will drive you into the sea in eight days. Well, guess what happened? Israel won. Israel had 10,000 rifles, 50 rounds for each rifle, four cannons, and 3,600 uh, sub, uh, submarine guns. God protected his people in spite of overwhelming odds against them. And dear friend, he will again. He will protect his people to the end because they're his people. God's presence is not only with Israel, but with those who are Christians. God's presence does several things. Let me give you some encouragement what God's presence does for us. It gives us courage. Courage, the line says. Courage. Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 1. When thou goest out to battle against thine enemies and seest horses and chariots and people more than thou, be not afraid of them, for the Lord thy God is with thee, which broughtest thee out of the land of Egypt. Psalm 23, verse 4, Yea, thou walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. It gives us courage. Of course, it gives us comfort. I love this verse in Isaiah 43, verse 2. Write it down. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they will not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. It's consistent. His presence, if we walk by faith and trusting him, is consistent. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, be your, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Matthew 28, verse 20, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. On Christmas Eve, the telephone rang in the office of the pastor of the church in Washington, D.C. that President Franklin Roosevelt attended. Tell me, Reverend, the voice inquired, are you holding a Christmas Eve service tonight? When advised that there would certainly be a service that evening, the caller asked, do you expect President Roosevelt to attend your church tonight? That, explained the pastor patiently, I cannot promise. I am not sure about the, the president's plans for this evening, but I can say that we fully expect God to be in our church tonight. And God is greater than any president or any king, or any so-called pope that's ever lived. God's going to be in church tonight, and we should be there. Beloved, if you want God's presence, you must present him your life. If you want God's presence, present him your life. That's why we call the name of the Lord. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We see this plea of Moses, the promise of his presence. Thirdly, the, the prophet's dependence in verses 15 and 16. Moses tells the Lord, we can't make it without you. We can't, we're not going to go unless your presence is not with us. If you're not with us, then don't lead us out of here. Moses knew the burden of getting ahead of God or living without God's direction after killing the Egyptian. Remember that? He spent 40 years in the backside of the desert, in the wilderness. Without God's leading, we waste our lives making foolish choices, bad priorities, and being ineffective for God. How many years have people wasted going on their own path when they could have been living for Jesus if they'd only stayed on the right path? Or somehow, some way, for some reason, they got off the path and they wandered like the children of Israel eventually will for many, many years when they could have been doing God's will. Oh, dear friend, trust what God wants you to do. Be dependent on his will. Psalm 127, verse 1, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh in vain. Uh, 
John chapter 3, verse 27, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except to be given from heaven. We ask God for help. We ask him for strength. Our way, our, our path, our wisdom, our education in of our own self is nothing compared to what God has for us. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and verse 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Remember John chapter 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Nothing. Ask for his presence. Ask for him to guide you. We see this plea, the promise of his presence, the prophet's dependence, and the prayer for God's glory in verse 18. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. That's an amazing thing. Moses had been with them for 40 days and 40 nights, and now he's asking for more. He's asking for more. <laughs> it's like your kids, you know, when they're teenagers. You feed them all you can feed them, and they come back and say, I want some more. I want some more. Okay, get some more. But you know what? The closer you get to the Lord, the closer you want to get. The farther you are from God, the farther you want to get. The question is, how close are you today to the Lord? How close are you today to the Lord? 1 Peter 2, 2, As newborns, babes, desire the sin-sealed miracle of the word that you may grow thereby. Moses said, Show me thy glory. In Exodus chapter 40, verse 34, Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. He's shown us his glory in creation. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmness showeth his handiwork. Get out away from the city sometime and get out there in the country. Just look up, up in the stars and see. That's God's handiwork. That wasn't from an explosion 10 billion years from now, from, from, from now, uh, years ago. That's not from some big bang. That's from God. Don't listen to what these so-called teachers teach you in the universities and the high schools. They don't know. They've been taught a lie, so they just parried a lie. But the Bible says that God created this world, this universe, the stars, and all the planets in it. He's shown us his glory through creation, through Christ. John 1.14, the world was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as one, but only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He showed us his glory in creation and in Christ in the future coming. Matthew 16, 27, for the, Lord, for the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels. Then shall, shall award every man according to his works. And finally, number five, the promises of God in verse 19. He said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. First of all, I will, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. The Lord can do this because God is good. If there's one characteristic of, of, of God that the devil hates, it's his goodness. Because every day, your flesh, society, and Satan questions the goodness of God. Oh, I can't eat like that other person. Oh, I don't have a house like that other person. Oh, I don't drive a car like that other person. Oh, I don't have clothes like that other person. Oh, I don't have appearance like that other person. I don't have personality like that other person. What's all that doing? Questioning the goodness of God. Oh, dear friend, think about what you do have. If you have Jesus, you have everything. 
Jesus, you have everything. Oh, what is the profit of man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? Be thankful for what you have. And quit comparing what you don't have with what other people have. You know what that is? Foolishness. That's foolishness. Don't go down that path. You know what that leads? That leads to discontentment. That leads to discouragement. That leads to division. That leads to death. That's where that leads. And if you go down that path of thinking, that's exactly the path the devil wants you to go on. Because your friend, you won't be telling people about Jesus when you're thinking about how sorry you are for your life and how it is. No, dear friend. Think about what God has given you, what you do have. And thank him for every, everything. Be grateful and thankful that God is good. Psalm 25, verse 8, memorize these verses. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore will he teach sinners in the way. Psalm 33, verse 5, he that loveth righteousness and judgment, the Lord, the earth is full of his, is the goodness of the Lord. Psalm 23, verse 5 and 6, we know these verses. Thou preparest a table in the presence of my enemies, that is known as my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Whether you're poor as a peant or have everything in the world, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, if you know Christ, you're going to dwell in the presence of the Lord forever. Think about the big picture. Missionary Chuck Mattis said after the death of his baby, God is good. God has given us a glimpse of his glory, answered prayers, saved souls, given us strength in trials, and the provision for our needs. Yes, even in death of a loved one, this man could say, by the grace of God, God is good. God is good. God promised to do four things. I will make my goodness pass before thee. Secondly, I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. Thirdly, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show the mercy of whom I will show mercy. Grace and mercy are not to be confused. They have a close relationship but are different. Mercy deals with the symptoms of sin. Grace deals with the cause and the, roots, the root problem. Mercy offers relief from punishment. Grace offers pardon from the crime. Because the Lord Jesus, God says, Mercy said, because of Christ Jesus, God's mercy says, no hell for you. I don't get what I deserve. Grace says, you have a home in heaven, an inheritance in Christ. I will make your, you like my son. You'll be a new creature and have eternal life. Because of God's grace, I get, I get to, even though I don't deserve to. That's why each of us must put our faith in Christ and trust in his will. We see his plea, his promise, the prophet's dependence, the prayer. For God's glory, the promise of God, and finally, the provision for protection. I know I said finally, but I say finally once again. You can, you can see, you can't see my face and live, but there's a place near me where you can stand upon a rock. My glory passes by. I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. I'll remove my hand, and you'll see not my face, but my hinder parts. For sinful man to have access to God's presence, and necessary that he put his put his Faith and trust in the security, the rock of ages, Jesus Christ. God said, I will put thee in the cleft, the crack of the rock. No sinner can do this himself. No one can save himself. Only God can put us in Christ or in the rock. He is the only one that can save us. The Lord said, I will cover thee with thy hand. In Christ we're covered by his blood and protected, protected 
securely by his hand. It's only as we seek or in the cleft of the rock that God's goodness passes before us. And finally, our rightful place is behind the Lord, seeking his presence, his promise, which will lead us and direct us the rest of our lives. S.I. McMillan, in his book, None of These Diseases, tells the story of a young woman who wanted to go to college. But her heart sank when she read the question on the application blank that asked, Are you a leader? How would you answer it? To get into college, on the application it says, Are you a leader? How would you answer it? Be both honest and conscientious. She wrote, No. And returned the application, expecting to the worst. To her surprise, she received a letter from the college. Dear applicant, a study of the application form reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We need some followers. We need some followers. You know what the church needs? Some followers. You know what our country needs? Some followers. You know what our world needs? Some followers. We need some followers who say, Lord, Wherever you go, I want to go. Wherever you tell me to go, I'll go. For however long you want me to go, wherever it may be, however it may be, I'll follow you. I will do what you want me to do. Oh, if we had 50 people in the church that said, I would follow Jesus completely and without hesitation, we could turn Gainesville upside down for Jesus Christ. If we had 50, if we only had 50, we could change Gainesville for Jesus Christ. But our problem is we want to follow our own path. We want to do our own thing. Which way is the wind flow blow? Which way do I want to go? Because of that, we struggle and we sin. We displease the Lord. Because we trust in ourselves and what we think we can do instead of trusting God, believing what he can do. Father, thank you, God, for loving us.